This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where retailers are expecting a decline in sales during their all-important Christmas holiday shopping season. It's taking a hit thanks to COVID-19. Our retailers have been really resilient, and they've done a lot to provide a safe shopping experience. But nonetheless, we do expect to be off from last year. We expect holiday sales to be down maybe as much as 5% from the previous year. We've passed another milestone in the COVID crisis. The number of cases in Florida just blew past 900,000, and at the current rate, it won't be long till we hit 1 million. The number of fatalities is closing in on 18,000, and five Florida mayors are asking the governor to change the way the state responds to the crisis. State education officials are contemplating what happens next semester in public schools during the pandemic. Most parents want their kids back in the classroom, but not all of them. COVID has become from abstract to reality. And with that is a fear. Every parent needs to have the right to keep their children in a full district-related remote option. That is imperative. Florida's education commissioner says he'll release a new executive order by the end of the month, and parents will still have the choice of remote learning next semester. Today on Sunrise, a deep dive into the three P's of the Florida legislature, police, protesting, and patriotism. They equate patriotism with white nationalism, but patriotism is a rejection of white nationalism and any doctrine that seeks to divide America. You know, he kind of painted a broad brush there and didn't really get into what details he was talking about. But we have a real problem, not just in this nation, but in this state, with white nationalism. You'll hear from the new Speaker of the Florida House and the leaders of the House Democrats. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man ordered to serve 50 hours of community service for poking a manatee with a fishing pole. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, November 19th. On this date in 1863, Abraham Lincoln delivered his Gettysburg Address that began with the immortal words, four score and seven years ago. This is also World Toilet Day. You might think of it as an ode to the commode. Another milestone in Florida's COVID crisis, the number of infections has passed 900,000. The health department reported almost 8,000 new cases Wednesday, along with 88 more fatalities, the most in a month. The death toll has reached 17,949, and the total number of cases in Florida is more than 905,000. And those are the official numbers. Remember, state officials are trying to hide the true extent of the danger by using a misleading measure of positive cases. Other health organizations not controlled by the governor are publishing data that shows Florida's positivity rate may be dramatically higher. A study by the CDC also shows the actual number of pandemic deaths in Florida may be as much as 25 percent higher than the state's official stats. The mayors of St. Petersburg, Miami Beach, Sunrise, Miami Shores, and Hialeah are urging Governor Ron DeSantis to change Florida's approach to COVID-19. They want him to impose a statewide mask mandate, allow local governments to enact mitigation measures without being overridden by the state, restore state testing facilities to their full capacities, and improve contact tracing. Miami Beach Mayor Dan Gelber says it's become pretty clear that what Florida is doing right now isn't working and unmistakably clear that Florida's approach to managing the pandemic is failing pretty horribly. Florida's education commissioner says students will be allowed to attend classes remotely through the end of the school year due to COVID-19. There had been concerns the state would try to force all kids back to the classroom after the Christmas holidays, and Michael Olnick, who serves on the State Board of Education, urged Commissioner Richard Corcoran to make sure kids still have the option of distance learning. In May, when we had a board meeting, I didn't know anybody with COVID. It was abstract to me. 
I think all of us now know someone. I know people that have died from COVID. I know all age groups. I know people that are sick from COVID. So COVID has become from abstract to reality. And with that is a fear. And I think there is a fear with many uh, students, faculty, um, parents. That fear is, is warranted. And as we look at new cases every day, and in Florida, on the 15th of November, we were in excess of 10,000 cases. We have at least, I think, 15,000 reported cases to date in schools. So with that background, with that background, I am imploring you, Commissioner, in your upcoming order, that to understand that no age group is an island in COVID and that every parent wants, and every teacher, we all want the same thing. I've said this before. We want brick-and-mortar experience. Everybody does. But that decision, that decision should be the parent's decision. And to me, it's sort of ironic that we as a state board, and I've been involved in education in the state of Florida for many years, and school choice is the mantra. And that mantra of choice allows vouchers and allows charter schools. But let's be real here. Science, we need to look at science. And I'm sorry, I do not subscribe to herd immunity as a science. We need to look at science and look at the fear that parents may have. And that's real. And when we go forward and you look at extending your order, the key to me is that every parent needs to have the right to keep their children in a full district-related remote option. And I stress district-related. That is imperative. And, it's, it, and that choice should allow that parent to make that decision. And I'm going to make it rather personal. I have a grandson who's in fifth grade. And he is working remotely. And it's been in Leon County where they have, he has a district, um, a district learning, a district virtual learning program. He doesn't, he has daily interaction with his classmates. He has a sense of community. And if you take that away from that fifth grader and force him into Florida virtual, he will lose that sense of community he will lose that daily interaction. Every parent should have that ability to make that choice. And I, I encourage parents to go take their kids to brick and mortar. But I also think that they have to have that option. And I would implore you, Commissioner, that your order, your extension of the order, should hold harmless those districts and allow a full district-related remote option and let's be clear here. We need to give a choice. And we have been consistent historically with that word choice. So let's add that and make that choice available or continue that choice to parents to make that decision what's best for them and what's best for their children. When Olnick was done, Commissioner Corcoran assured him that no one who prefers virtual learning will be forced back into the classroom in January. We will have full parental choice um, in the first uh, emergency order and in our subsequent emergency order, the governor uh, will take nothing less than full parental choice. And so to your point, um, that has happened. 
um, and even those who sued us uh, on the first emergency order have recognized that that full parental choice has been a wonderful thing and now support us in trying to move forward with the extension of that emergency order. And so uh, I can assure you, uh, Mike, that um, from the top down in this state, uh, that will absolutely happen. The state's pandemic plan for the next semester will be included in a new emergency order. Commissioner Corcoran says it'll be published by the end of the month, maybe even by Thanksgiving. After spending the past eight months languishing in isolation because of COVID-19, the Florida legislature is preparing for a showdown over racial issues, especially police reform. Young people in Florida and the rest of the country took to the streets over the summer after George Floyd was killed by a Minneapolis cop. It's a difficult issue for Florida lawmakers because most of them are white and they grew up thinking police are their protectors, compared to minority households where parents have to warn their kids that if they mess with the cops, they could end up dead. It gets even more complicated in the Florida legislature, where the new Speaker of the House is the proud son of a New York cop. Republican Chris Sprouls is willing to talk about reform, but he says the idea of defunding the police will never fly. Our law enforcement officers and our military face very real risks that those of us who work behind desks cannot imagine. These men and women deserve our understanding. They deserve our gratitude and they deserve our respect. There is no profession, occupation or endeavor that cannot improve. For any member who wants to have an honest, thoughtful, fact-based conversation about how we can pr improve policing in Florida, my door and my mind are open. I do not dismiss, nor do I minimize, the complicated issues and historical entanglements surrounding police and race in the United States. I recognize that my own experience has its limitations and that emotions can run high. But passion isn't the measure of good policy and when dialogue descends into diatribe, when it leads to the vilification of an entire profession, when it becomes a justification for violence and lawlessness, then we have abandoned reason for rage. And that is where we should all draw the line. We cannot blame all of law enforcement for the sins of a few. We must not take action that puts the lives of Floridians at risk. And we should not allow any government in Florida to defund the police. But no one in the legislature is actually calling for the defunding of police. Representative Evan Jenny of Dania Beach is co-chair of the Democratic Caucus in the House. He says they want to reimagine policing, not defund it. Here's the thing. We have 42 members. I don't think if you polled them, I think if you polled them at the end of the day, you wouldn't find a single person that's saying defund the police. In fact, a lot of what we're saying is going to cost a lot of money. There's a very real chance when you talk about reimagining the police and what they're actually doing and how they interact with communities, it's going to cost a lot of money in pilot programs. It's going to cost a lot of money in training. There's a very real possibility with the things that we're talking about in our caucus are the exact opposite of defunding. Uh, if anything, I could see that uh, increasing because of how we want to change uh, policing, especially in the African-American uh, and immigrant communities in this state. Representative Bobby DeBose of Fort Lauderdale is also a co-chair of the House Democratic Caucus, and he's giving the speaker the benefit of the doubt on this. I would take him on his word to say that he would have an open and honest conversation. I think that he will. He and I have had a conversation uh, on this topic uh, over the summer. Uh, however, as far as me being optimistic that he's going to definitely view things the way we do, I don't know. I think that um, there's more conversation there to be had. Um, and, you know, he is taking or laying out a certain policy approach that I don't think necessarily lines up with what we believe that needs to be done. 
but that's the one thing about this process. It gives us an opportunity to come together. So I'm going to take his comments and kind of stretch them a step farther, not only just having the conversation and being open to it, but being open to the effects on um, Floridians and being open to grasp and take some of the solutions and possibilities and policies that we will offer up um, in this upcoming session. Speaker Sprouls has also drawn a line in the sand over something that's not really an issue, patriotism. He believes many of the people exercising their First Amendment rights to protest against police brutality and the government are simply not being patriotic. The very word patriotism does seem to cause some in the media and all of woke Twitter to swarm like locusts. In their funhouse mirror universe, they see even the most innocuous expression of patriotism as something dark and sinister. They equate patriotism with white nationalism. But patriotism is a rejection of white nationalism and any doctrine that seeks to divide America. Patriotism is an expression of love for one's country. Teaching our children to appreciate and love the United States of America should be a fundamental and indispensable part of our curriculum in elementary and secondary education. The United States is the only nation in the world animated by the power of an idea, that every individual is entitled to liberty and freedom. Throughout our history, we have struggled, sometimes painfully, but always under our own volition to live up to that ideal. Patriotism isn't just about marching in a parade or waving a flag. It is embracing your part in this grand experiment of liberty. We shouldn't be afraid to share that ideal with our children or to talk to them about the shining city on a hill. Just as we shouldn't back away in, in older grades from students are talking about the times in our history where we've fallen horribly short of that ideal. We must have those conversations because if we don't, if we don't foster a common faith in our nation, then we will not be able to maintain a civil society. But Representative Jenny says there is nothing patriotic about white supremacists trying to hide their hatred by wrapping themselves in the American flag. You know, he kind of painted a broad brush there uh, and didn't really get into what details he was talking about. But we have a real problem, not just in this nation, but in this state with white nationalism. Um, and it, that is a known fact. That is an absolute fact. I believe the Florida Senate last year actually had a resolution that said as much that it is a problem that needs to be combated. And, um, you know, I think to just sweep that under the rug uh, is not just a detriment to uh, black Florida, but to all Floridians, because it's something that we're going to need to tackle head on if we're serious about it. So, look, I'm a patriot. I love my nation. So uh, that that is not something that I disagree with. I mean, I I think everyone should be patriotic about this country and have full buy into what this the promise of this country is. But at the same time, to just throw it out there, uh, it almost seems like, uh, look, they, you know, they have an issue um, and, and Florida has an issue right now with the rise of white nationalism. So to j simply just say that white nationalism is being confused with with fervent um, uh, patriotism, I don't think that's really the case. The governor has also proposed a new law to crack down on protesters. He says it's designed to end violent demonstrations, and the House Speaker is all for it. But Jenny and DeBose say the devil is in the details, and there's no bill yet, only talk. Thanksgiving is just a week away, and this is the time of year the Retail Federation issues its annual prediction of holiday spending. It's prime time for merchants. This can make or break their entire year. But Florida Retail Federation President Scott Shalley says the COVID crisis will cost them big bucks this year. It is indeed. It's 2020, and I'll say that uh, our retailers have been really resilient, and they've uh, uh, done a lot to provide a safe uh, shopping experience. 
but nonetheless, we do expect a little bit of a, to be off from last year. We expect uh, holiday sales to be down uh, maybe as much as 5% from the previous year, but uh, uh, we're still doing all we can, and we're, we're really encouraging uh, people to uh, find it in Florida. It's a new campaign that we've launched, and, and we just encourage folks that as they uh, engage in their holiday shopping that they shop with uh, retailers that have a presence in the state of Florida. Now, that 5% decline, I mean, that's pretty huge, isn't it? This is this is where retailers usually make most of their money for the year. Yeah, for a lot of them, it's, it, the last two months of the year is, is you know, anywhere from 20% or more of their, their annual sales. So it certainly uh, won't go unnoticed. Um, it, as you said, we, we always try to be optimistic, but the, the reality is that uh, people are, are just concerned and not moving around as much as they were. Now, traditionally, during this time, you've always done the Christmas toy list, too, and what's most popular. Did you do that this year? Yeah, we have. We've gotten our information, and, and really it's, um, you know, it's showing the, some, some of the, the, old, the, old, the old guard, I guess, the consistencies in terms of, uh, for the boys, it's, it's Legos, uh, cars and trucks, Hot Wheels, uh, and then, of course, the electronics with PlayStation and, and video games. And then uh, for the girls, it's... Uh, um, dolls and Barbies, and and again, some of the stuff that you would expect, as well as uh, Legos and 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 the electronics as well. With the adults, you're going to see a lot of gift cards. Um, the you know a lot of people will be purchasing gift cards, and 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 probably the biggest thing in the the downturn in the projections is that we we, we don't anticipate as much uh, of where people buy for themselves while they're holiday shopping. Uh, they'll, they'll pick up their gifts, but maybe won't splurge for that gift for themselves that they normally might spend on. So is there a perfect gift for the COVID holiday? <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. It, uh, uh, a, a trip somewhere where COVID doesn't exist would probably fall into that category. Or your own personal ventilator. Yeah, right, right, right. Shelley says the average American will spend about $998 on gifts this year. That's about $50 less than last year. Your calendar of events begins at 8.30. There's a remote meeting of the Blue-Green Algae Task Force. The Social Services Estimating Conference meets at 9. The Southwest Florida Regional Planning Council meets at 9. The Florida Defense Support Task Force meets online at 10.30. The Florida Supreme Court releases weekly opinions at 11. The Florida Public Service Commission also meets at 11 to hold a hearing about a proposed settlement involving rates for people's gas. The Governing Board of the Northwest Florida Water Management District meets at 1. The Visit Florida Board of Directors meets at 2 in Tampa. And the Florida Gateway College Board of Trustees meets at 5 in Lake City. Finally today, a Florida man has been ordered to serve 50 hours of community service after pleading guilty in federal court to harassing a manatee. David Beattie is a boat captain and the owner of Shallow Point Fishing Charter in Tampa. He says he poked the sea cow with a fishing pole because there was something stuck on its back, possibly a worm or a fishing lure, and he was trying to dislodge it. But touching the animal was illegal, and he had prior citations for speeding in manatee protection zones. The whole thing was captured on drone video, and animal rights activists wanted his head. But Judge Thomas Barber sentenced Beattie to perform 50 hours of community service by January 12th, after which time the judge will decide if any further sanctions are appropriate. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we continue to plumb the depths of Florida politics. 